But here's where we t- we're talking about this whole idea of life, money, hope. And uh, last week we introduced this, and this is our a series about generosity and giving and money, which uh, a lot of people hesitate to talk about uh, because of the sometimes the backlash that people have. Like, why are you talking about money and stuff like that? We're not supposed to. But but here's the thing: if the scriptures are correct, which they are, then if the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, I think we probably need to talk about the trappings of wealth and the trappings of money. And all those kinds of things a little bit more. Amen? Y'all with me? I, 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 so we're going to have to have to get some enthusiasm in here. So I want to, hey, hey, here's what I'm like. Yeah, right on. Can I get a whoop, whoop? But here's the deal. Yeah, nice, nice. So here's the deal for real. Like we've got to make sure that we are thinking in the way that God says to be thinking. Because salvation is not, or giving is not a salvation issue. It is a discipleship issue. Like it's, it's, a, it's a matter of being a disciple who is learning to be obedient to Jesus. You might be saved and yet given God absolutely every part of your life, but for some of us, we struggle in the area of money. In fact, probably for the majority of us, we're struggling in the areas of money. Here's why I say this, because over and over and over, Jesus talked about the trappings of wealth and the, and the, 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 the lure of money can pull you away from from him ultimately see we got to be able this is what we talked about last week that we got to trust the provider and not the provision they were not trying to get good stuff from god we just want to be trusting in him and and be honoring to him and worshiping him whether rather than worshiping the things that he can give us Last week also, I invited you to join us in the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. Now, if you weren't here last week or you're praying about it this week, if you are already tithing, fill one of these things out. Let us know. It would be a real blessing to me and help me out quite a bit uh, because it's such an encouragement to hear some of the stories that come out when people start tithing. It is crazy. I know it sounds weird, but for some reason, people seem to do more with 90% than they do with 100% of what they consider their money when God blesses the 90%. It's crazy. Like some of the stuff, now I'm not talking about you're going to get some big old fat sexy check either. Like you may or may not do that. Like those are things that may or may not happen, but ultimately it is about seeing uh being like stepping into obedience and resting in his rhythm financially it's kind of a weird deal but god does more with less than we could do with more and without him does that make sense are you with me new city church are we all right we've got a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be uh, really generous about you know we started this whole idea this summer about will it be us will it be us that reaches the people that are coming to edgerton and reaching those who are already here we're doing our blessing baskets next week also we give to an organization called the north american mission board which has helped us to plant churches they actually bought a house in shawnee for new city church to to use for a church planter for two years they give that house to him rent or her rent free him and his wife rent free and so we are actually using that to house the next pastor for our Merriam campus uh, that is going to be open in early in next year we've got a lot to be generous about in fact there are, there are several families that are praying about as the Shawnee campus did for us 
praying about going and being missionaries to the Merriam campus for six months and then being able to come back and tell us all the cool stuff that God is doing at New City Church Merriam. Amen. Cool, cool stuff. In fact, this North American Mission Board, I got a, a, a Facebook post from my buddy Matt Mars who is over the who is head kind of the heads over the church planting of this area and check out this he said i thank god every day for the privilege of serving with the north american mission board or, or nam hearing the news that nam is paying for the funeral expenses of the texas shooting vic- victims makes me so proud to be part of this great organization see that's just amazing to me when we give we give to things like that you, if you guys remember a few weeks back jeff uh, jeff Ford came up, and when we had talked about money and finances, I did one sermon in the summertime about money and finances, and I got a lot of folks like, whoa, all of a sudden they're just questioning, like, wait, wait, why are we talking about this? This is hard. Why are we, are we, are we going to be money, honey, money hungry, grabbing, all that kind of stuff? And when we started stepping into it, and, and when I started explaining what we do with the money and those kinds of things, Jeff went on a mission trip with the North American Mission Board, and he was blown away by what he saw. And he came back and he said, now I get it. Amen. Now I understand why the tithe is important. It's not just so that we can build an organization, if you will, but it is truly so that we can reach people in all kinds of different ways. Real quick survey. Real quick survey. How many people have had a very, very good year this year? 2017. Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. How many people have had a very difficult year in 2017 been a tough year right on man here's the thing in good times and in bad times in great years or in rough years god is the owner of it all amen like this is the thing we've got to be thinking about last week i introduced the whole concept that we are rich remember we said all the silly crazy stuff that rich people do they'll do things like trade in a perfectly good car pay more money come back out with a perfectly good car and have more and more debt and that kind of thing is like the silly rich things that things that rich people do uh, i thought about a few this week as a matter of fact i'm still kind of upset that 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 they did away with peanut butter Captain Crunch. Are you kidding me? That's the best one, man, right? And they did away with it. Do you realize we have 13 variations of Cheerios that are available to us? That's what rich people do and demand, right? Amen? Silly stuff. Like, like we'll go into our pantry and have all kinds of food in the pantry. We'll go over to the fridge, have all kinds of food in the fridge. Oh, there might be a little spot in the shelf that might be empty and stuff. But ultimately, we look, we look in the freezer and we will literally say, there is nothing to eat. Y'all don't say this a bunch of rich people. Look at you, man. Seriously, if you make more than $32,000 a year household income, you are in the top 1% of all the world living in one of the most affluent counties in, all, in the most affluent nation in the history of the world. You're rich. And when we look at the scriptures, we got to be looking at the scriptures that way. That When the warnings about the rich, the, 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 like the rich and all those things that Jesus and the scriptures talk about, like he's talking about me. And, now, and it, sometimes it's hard for us to understand that because it's like, wait a second, I got 68 bucks till I get paid next month, 
right? How am I going to figure this out? I mean, I'm struggling with this. and I'm str- How is that possible? But he is talking about you and me. That's hard for some of us to understand, but he is. Next week, we're going to give our, our annual big give offering. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to invite people to come to church with you so that we can do this together. I want you to be here so that we can have this big give, if you will. It's our Thanksgiving annual offering next week. Here's what I don't want anyone to do, though. I don't want you to come when the bucket comes by, do the wallet dance. Like, oh, man, i got to get the wallet out and get the... That, like, it's not a matter of obligation. Second Corinthians start, uh, ver, uh, chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We want to come to the giving and the offering next week with that kind of heart, that kind of mind, understanding that we are rich, and it all belongs to God. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, instruct those, we looked at, we talked about this last week, instruct those who are rich in the present age, not to be arrogant or accept their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And when we ask that question, we say, why do we keep talking about money in church? The answer is simple. Jesus talked about money. Matthew 6, his very first public ministry sermon, he comes to the Sermon on the Mount and he starts saying publicly, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but if i say but but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also i've heard it said like this you can look at someone's check register to find out where their heart is sometimes that's the case right a lot of times that's the case because the chief competitor for your heart is money over and over and over and i was a landlord for a long time and i had very affluent clients and i had very poor clients and many times it had nothing to do with what was in their bank account many times it had everything to do with what was in their heart and mind some of the poorest people that i met were some of the most uh, like freaked out about money all the time and some of the poorest people that i met were some of the i mean the like had the greatest perspective about it some of the uh, richest people that i met that we had as far as clients and things were some of the most generous and had this perspective about money and some of them were just a, a like money grabbing i mean just like had this perspective like it's all mine i gotta keep hold of it and that kind of thing right so it's interesting like it didn't matter the economic status of somebody the socioeconomic status had nothing to do with it had everything to do with the heart amen it's got it that way with us too so here's my hope for everyone this this morning is that i want god to have access to every part of your life including your finances, because many of us, if we're going to be honest, live as an economic atheist. That's a different new term for us, a lot of us. Like we start living like somebody who believes in God, prays to God, says yes to Jesus. We get baptized. We get in even into a discipling group and learning what it means to be obedient. And yet that one part of our life, we refuse to give 
to God. I think one time we, oh, we're going to do an object lesson. I still might do this one day where we baptize somebody and they hold their wallet out of the water. And <laughs> say, everything but this, God. Like, this is the way we live our lives so many times. An economic atheist is someone who believes in God and all that comes with God and believes they can live outside the economic fences of God's favor. Favor. And economic fences, and I love fences. By the way, I'm going to talk about some fences that are in Leviticus that God outlined for his people. I'm a big fan of fences now. I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, I am not generally a, a, a dog guy or a cat guy, somebody who has a pet in our house. Judy and I don't have a, a pet except for this freaking mouse I can't get rid of. It's, oh, I'm going to get him. No, boy. I'm going to get him. Y'all pray for me, man, because I'm on a mission. But I can't, like, like, like there's like we're just not dog people had a dog one time drove me nuts got rid of it i mean this is like one of those deals right Everybody's like oh poor dog i'm just not dog people however uh, i am a grand dog kind of a guy like our daughter and our son-in-law who have not had children yet won't give us any grandkids yet they will pray for them and everything like that because i'm ready to spoil some children baby but but they 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 got this uh dog that's one of the coolest dogs in the world like it's it's she's awesome her name is bailey and she is a uh a, kind of a lab pointer mix she's cool she chases squirrels because i hate squirrels i mean it's so cool right and so like she stayed with us for three weeks when morgan and brandon were one was in florida and the other one that they went to florida they went to houston after the floods and that kind of thing and hurricanes did some ministry work down there it was so cool so the dog stayed with us one and you know i'm not a dog guy but man i walked out of that out of the house i was like bye pookie baby pookie, pookie, i walked out and slammed the door i'm like what the heck just happened to me a different guy man that dog's done, that dog's done made me soft right and so it's just but 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 one time we let her out and i had left the fence open now she's not you she's not you know think anything about it she runs out the fence all of a sudden, she, she's like she's being chased all over the neighborhood. She winds up inside one of our neighbor's house, right? Now, I don't know how that happened, but they were like, oh, come on in, girl. You know, she's like, okay, you know, like, oh, that could have killed you, right? Fences protect. Fences are good. I'll never forget the other day, a couple of weeks ago, probably, man, probably a month and a half ago or so, uh, I, I go out, she's in the backyard, I'm spraying water because she loves water and that kind of thing, just messing around, playing with her and stuff like that. I go out the fence to get something out the front door, I look around, there she's standing right there. I'm like, oh crap, right? I said, like, come on girl, look she did. She's like, ran back in with me, right? No big deal, slammed the fence. Oh man, thank you Lord. Didn't have to go chase this dog all over the place, right? Fences help. Fences protect fences are a good thing i know i know uh garth brooks sings this whole no fences song and everything like that and he he probably if he had rapped that song i probably would have listened to it a little bit more carefully because rap music is god's favorite style of music amen i'm gonna pray for all y'all all right <laughs> yes carl got it i love it here's the deal as an economic atheist you are god over your money you are God over your economics. You decide how to budget. You decide how to spend your money. And you decide you're not going to live inside God's fences. You're going to do things your own way in this area of your life. 
And it's remarkable how many things and how many times people will give absolutely everything to God except that one thing. Not this, God. I got to hold on to this part. Protection. Provision. Vince, I want to show you today is found in the book of, of Leviticus. How many people have ever read the book of Leviticus? It's Old Testament, old school, right? Whole bunch of dietary laws and all kinds of different like norm, normal laws and cultural laws and family laws and relationship laws and rules and regulations. In other words, some fences. And I'm going to explain to you some of those fences uh, today, today, and God says, if you live with my within my fences, it's going to be good for you. There are worship fences, relationship fences, ethical fences, and economical financial fences. Started off in Leviticus 18, in verse 3, the, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. Moses had led them out, and here's what he's saying to his people. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live, or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow their customs. Now, he's not, this isn't something that he's just saying, hey, in other words, you got to be people that honor me. Those people do not. And he starts saying some things right after this in verse, okay, starting in verse 4, he starts saying all kinds of things like, hey, don't sleep with your sister. Like, it's weird. Like, you're like, what? Like, they, they don't be like these people. Uh, be like, you are my people. And he starts saying, don't, ha- don't start having relationships that are improper with your own mom. It's like, uh, duh. Everybody say, ooh. Ooh, right? Yeah, man. I mean, well, God's addressing this stuff, man. He ain't holding back. And he said, don't be like these people. I'm like, these people really like that? No, of course it wouldn't be like that. But he continues on to say stuff about don't be like them, don't be like them. And in verse uh, 1 of chapter 19, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, Be holy because I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Each of you is to respect his mother and father. You are to keep my Sabbaths. Yeah, man. I am Yahweh your God. Do not turn to idols or make cast images for God, of God's for yourselves. I am Yahweh your God. When you offer a fellowship sacrifice to the Lord, listen to this, very important. Words are critical here. He said, when you offer a fellowship sacrifice to the, to the Lord, sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. This is what he's saying. So it's not a matter, well, Lord, will you accept my sacrifice? It's like, Lord, will you accept me? Wow, it's a different thing. It's a matter of the heart here. It is to be eaten on the day that you sacrifice it or the, on the next day, but remains. But what remains on the third day must be burned up. See, God knew all about germs and all about rotten food and microbes and stuff like that to give you like diarrhea and everything like that. I mean, he's like, hey, don't eat stuff after a couple of days here, man. On the third day, throw it away. Oh, well, I don't want to live in the fences of God, so I'd just rather live with my puking and stomach stuff right it's crazy stuff right that's what he says is any if any has eaten on the third day it is a repulsive thing uh yeah and it stinks it will not be accepted anyone who eats it will bear his punishment some of it might be some some uh, some some serious uh, uh problems here right so uh, it will be accepted anyone who eats it will bear his punishment for he has profaned what is holy to the lord that person must be cut off from his people when you reap the harvest of your land, here we go, right? 
starting to talk about the economic fences that he wants us to be in. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Well, who's to tell me I can't? It's my field. No, it's God's field. Right? It's God's field. Well, who's to tell me who I'm supposed to spend my money? It's God who's telling you how to spend your money. Right? It's God who's saying like, how you deal with work and how you deal with wages and how you deal with your budget and how you deal with finances and how you deal with your property and how you deal with your business and how you deal all those things. Those got to belong to God if we're going to walk in His favor and think like He does, right? You must not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh. Your God, you must not steal. You must not act deceptively or lie to one another. You must not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am Yahweh. You must not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The, the wages due a hired hand must not remain with you until morning. In other words, pay your folks immediately. You must not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But you are to fear your God. I am Yahweh. You must not act unjustly when deciding a case. Don't be impartial. Don't be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. You must not go about spreading slander among your people. You must not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am Yahweh. You must not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly or, and you will not incur, incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but... Love your neighbor as yourself. Which Jesus later said was one of the greatest commandments you could ever have. In the context of all these different fences, he's saying, don't do this. Make sure you do it this. Make sure you look at it this way. Make sure you have this. I know that I've given you stewardship, but it ain't yours. It's, it's mine. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh is what, what he's saying here. And love your neighbor as yourself in context of all that. That's amazing. Over and over and over throughout the Bible, God instructs His people, don't be like them, be like me. Andy Stanley says it like this. I'm a prominent pastor out of Atlanta. says, when I see as God sees, I will do as God says. So here's two fences I want you to be thinking about. Economic fences that I want you to be thinking about in these based on these scriptures and based on what's, what just makes a lot of sense, right? Fence number one, we want us to be living inside your budget. Whose budget am I supposed to be living inside? No, not mine. Everybody say, I got to live in my budget. Everybody say that. Turn to your neighbor, say, you got to live in your budget. Turn to your neighbor on the other side, say, I got to live in my budget. Yeah, man. Like we got this whole crazy weird thing going on where we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, aren't we? I mean, what is wrong with us? It's like it's like I, like if I could just pack my stuff, my 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 refrigerator full of more stuff, right? More expensive stuff, and if I could get more great stuff in my house that that, that impresses nobody, right? I mean, they don't even care. My, like folks, I'm pr- trying to impress don't even care about me. Like he says, live inside your budget. Whose budget? My budget, exactly, exactly right. Leviticus 19, starting in verse 9, says this. Remember, we're going to kind of review that. When you harvest the crops of your land, now keep in mind, he's talking about those who have the deed to this land. 
Do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vine and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. Do not make your hard workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. But it's my stuff, God. No, it's it's his. It's his. For the landowners in here, for the business owners, for those who are in that category, what right does God say leave some of this stuff behind? Here's why he says this, and here's why he has every right. It was God's in the beginning, and it's God's now. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So for the owner of those things and for the for the for the more wealthy folks among us we've got to make sure we understand this is belonging to god for those who are the hired workers we got to make sure we understand this belongs to god for those who are the poor and the foreigners among us we got to understand this all belongs to god it is the same perspective we must have that's why he says don't covet, don't be jealous, don't be uh, like envying other people and those kinds of things. When we do that, our, our minds and our approach get kind of squirrely when we start, stop thinking about the way God sees things. See, ever, uh, it's our self-identity a lot of times that we think of ourselves as a little bit more than we need to be thinking about ourselves, right? And so I want us to win in this financial piece because too many of us are struggling and fighting and clawing and scraping and trying to figure this out on our own, man. And it all belongs to God. And He's a God of peace. And He can give you everything you need. But we don't do those kinds of things so we'll get something. We do those things because God is God. Amen? Here's some little truth I want to bust out on you here. It's a real cool thing that I think our buddy uh, Troy McMahon said out of Restore, who's one of the pastors and one of the, ch- one of the churches that helped start us. If you don't know, we got started by three different churches from three different de- denominations. And it's just so really like nobody knows what to do with this. What, what, you know, are you affiliated with somebody? Yeah, but nobody knows what to do with this, right? We're just different. It's just kind of, uh, you know, nobody can figure us out. And I say, that's good because God's got something crazy special going on in our, in our church. But I love what Troy had to say. Troy McMahon says, here's how you ought to budget, live, and those kinds of things. First thing, it's called the 10-10-80 plan. Sometimes it's called the give, save, and live plan. Here's what you do, and here's what Judy and I actually do. Uh, and, and we try our very, very best to live, live among this. But the first 10%, whenever we get paid, goes right to the church. That's what we do. We've decided to tithe. Actually, we give a little bit more than that. And we've been doing that for, uh, gosh, man, a long time now. Like almost 20 years we've been doing that. I remember the first time we did it, we're like, what the crap are we doing? You know, but all of a sudden you start seeing God's favor and his divine hand in your finances. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I got a crazy story to tell you. Some of you guys know my, my story uh, when it comes to finances and stuff. Is I got a little bit ahead of God. I'm going to talk about the rhythm of God and his economic rhythm here in a second. But I got ahead of God about, oh gosh, 20 years ago or so, probably 18 years ago. I started going into a real estate venture and I said, oh man, I'm going to make all kinds of money, man. Right off the bat, boom, boom. Now, people can make real estate money. It's all good. But my perspective was that I'm going to make money. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get a big old lick real quick, right? Anybody ever been in that situation? 
Yeah, right? Like all of a sudden, this is going to make me rich, right? And I did really well, man. Judy and I did really well financially in our, our real estate venture for about seven or eight years. But then this year came about, came about that was called 2008. Anybody remember what happened in 2008? Crash. When you got everything in your real estate and your real estate crashes, that kind of sucks, Right? Like I watched 600 and some odd thousand dollars overnight collapse in our portfolio. And over the next several years, we dug, dug everything we could do. I wound up doing a calculation one time that I realized I lost over a million dollars, 1.2 million dollars I lost. Why did I lose it? It was never mine in the first place. God can give it or God can take it away. But what I had a perspective of was not right. I wanted to get ahead of God. I wanted to advance. I wanted to get a big lick. I wanted to make a whole bunch of money. And there ain't nothing wrong with me. Hey, man, if you, if you strike it rich in your 20s or whatever, and your 30s, hey, praise God, awesome. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. But here's the deal. If you've got a perspective that you're going to go get it, and you're going to go make it, and you're going to go find it, like it's God's to begin with. He can give it or take it away. Trust me, I know. You remember that grass I was telling you guys last week that I... Uh, like to mow, uh, what rich people do, we water our grass so it'll mow and we can mow, it'll grow and we can mow it and grow and we can mow it, right? I remember being there a couple of years back. Uh, well, it's a few years back now. God's just rescued us tremendously from a lot of this. But I remember mowing it and looking at my house going, God, it's yours anyway, but I don't think I'm going to be living here for very much longer. They're about to take everything. I had that perspective and it's, that's gut-wrenching sometimes when you start looking at things like that. And so my story, man, is that even though we were tithing, we still went through a very difficult financial period because, yeah, I was given the 10%, but then I'm pursuing it with the rest of the 90%, which is off. Try to get ahead of God in his economic rhythm. And so when we did that, man, it was almost... A devastation for us but and this is my opinion and this is my my thinking on this but there is no possible way it made any sense for us to get out of the the debt that we did in the manner we did it in the speed we did it it didn't make any sense to 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 negotiate payment plans that nobody said would ever work all the financial advisors said dude you need to you need to freaking like declare bankruptcy and start over all the the people that i talked to were like look at how much you're giving to the church bro you don't need to be doing that because they're looking at it from a a zero-sum game here but god's the god's like so great and i firmly believe that he rescued us out of absolute financial ruin because we were debt we were we were true to the tithe that we never stopped doing that and we did it to the like sacrificially and we did it out of obedience and sometimes i'm looking at it going this don't make no sense at all math don't add up like that but god's bigger than math that's all i gotta say amen i don't man it's hard for me to to explain that to people but when people are telling me they've just recently started to give a tithe and then they start giving me story after story after story after story of how god is blessing them not necessarily financially but yes sometimes but ultimately, it's about I'm in favor, I'm in, his, I'm in step with him all of a sudden. Like I've taken this scary, crazy step of a first-time obedience into God, like with God, and now, man, I'm resting. 
Like I'm all of a sudden for the first time, I get the stories I'm telling you. And you can't explain that, but when you can hear some of these stories that I'm hearing, guys, you'd be like, oh man, I have no choice but to step into the tithe if I'm not doing it for the first time. And I don't, sometimes don't even want to talk about the tithe. I think some people think, well, 10%, I'd like to give more. Man, do however it is that God says to do it. Do it as a cheerful giver. See, an economic atheist will not do this because they think they're better off living on 100% of their income, fence-free, than living on 90% that has been blessed by God. And if you're barely getting by, and here's the thing, here's what happens. If you're barely getting by when you are the one in charge of your money, then you need to step into this challenge, risk-free, and start this tithe because you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. 10% goes to the tithe. The second 10% goes to savings. Savings gives you some, some cushion there. Savings gives you some, some options there when things go crazy, right? So before you go to Aldi or Hen House or book a vacation, you put 10% in some sort of a savings. It gives you room to breathe a little bit. The final part is 80% that you live on. You pay your taxes, your food, your shelter, your clothing. Guys, math won't work out when you look at it on paper when you step into obedience god does some crazy stuff that's all i can tell you on that you can go out guys and do these things on your own but until we do these things in god's favor in god's standing in god's way i can never explain to you what it means to give a tithe and to start that way fence number one live inside my budget right Fence number two, honor the economic cycle. I just told you an example of how I tried to get ahead of the cycle. We're going to finish out Leviticus 19 and we'll do our our offerings and our um, Lord's Supper today too. So Leviticus 19, starting in verse 23. When you enter the land land and plant fruit trees, leave the fruit unharvested for the first three years and consider it forbidden. Do not eat it. In the fourth year, the entire crop must be consecrated to the Lord as a celebration of praise. Finally, in the fifth year, you may eat the fruit. If you follow this pattern, your harvest will increase. Listen to this, a promise here, right? If you follow this pattern, your harvest will increase. I am the Lord, your God. The problem with that, and the problem with doing this, honoring this economic cycle is that we want to, as soon as the tree starts bearing fruit, we want to grab it, grab it, grab it, and eat it, right? We want to snag it. We want to start spinning it. We want to do it. Let, it let it grow a little bit, right? So, so when we start saying living inside your budget and honoring the economic cycle, like if you're in your 20s and you're trying to live like your parents and you're wondering why, this isn't fair. Like I, I'm used to this stuff. Like they had to pay some dues too. Amen, those that are parents, right? We've had to pour into those who, are, who we have raised into, and we have had to sow these seeds over and over and over, We're waiting for that harvest to happen in their own life. This whole idea of sow, grow, and harvest is also by our, our elder Charlie Blair, is the plow, plant, prune, and pick principle. Try not to get any nasty emails today. You said something nasty from the stage. When you enter the land, plant the fruit in the trees. Wait. Even though there's fruit, wait. Let the, let the tree mature. Let those things take care, get taken care of. 
And so if we're living in our own budgets, how, whose budget are we supposed to live by? My budget. Exactly right. Then we are, and if you're, a, if you're a property owner and wealthy, God bless you. It's awesome. Stay within your budget because there's always going to be somebody higher you're trying to achieve if you're not doing it God's way. Amen? This is really dangerous. It's really dangerous financially to live while we're like out of our budget, trying to impress people that don't really care all that much about us for everything that, for things that are just going to go away or be, you know, in, the, in a couple of years, it's going to be out of style. It doesn't matter. Stick to what the economic cycle. Stick to honor the economic cycle. Give everything, including your money, to God. Let him do things that you could never do with 100%. Let him do with 90. If you haven't started doing that, I challenge you to take this tithe challenge starting today. Put this in your um, offering bucket as it goes by. And take this challenge risk-free and see what God does. It is the only time God ever said to test me in this. We're not supposed to test. Well, he said, oh, in this one, test me in it. Right? Take the challenge if we have it. It'll be a radical departure from a life that that we want to control ourselves. God has all the power. We don't. When we give that power to him and let him have everything in our lives, it's amazing what happens. You may never get rich, and that's not the intent, but you'll be richly blessed being in favor with a God that you can never describe. Father, we love you. And we're about to take communion with you. There are some folks here, Lord, that need to give things to you that they've been holding on to. It may not even be finances, Lord. Some of us in here struggle with um, whatever uh, other things are, but, but your finances, Lord, they may not even struggle with that, but they may have something else they're struggling with. Lord, whatever it is, for a lot of us, for most of us, it's the financial peace that we struggle with. May we start stepping into what it means to be obedient to you, really, really obedient to you in what you said in your word. We thank you, Father, for this. And as we take communion together, may we examine our hearts so that we don't do this in an unworthy manner. May we recognize the, the bread that is, represents the body that has been broken and the juice that represents the blood that has been spilled for us on our behalf. Because you gave everything. It's in your son's precious and amazing name we pray. Everybody in the house said...